once again, thanks for joining us for our first live events of 2020. Really excited to have Dr. Gerber here, and we're going to get into his introduction in just a second. So first announcement, make sure to check out the website. It's been updated, and we update it every couple of days with new articles, new content. Julie, myself, Dat, we all write articles. We also have some guest writers as well. So make sure to check that out. Dat has done a fantastic job of building the website up and making it user friendly. Also make sure to sign up for the newsletter as well. We just shot one out today. We shoot one out every couple of weeks. So it just gives updates on everything on the website. And make sure to follow the Instagram as well. Julie has done a fantastic job with that. And basically that's a little bit different than our Facebook group, a little bit different than the website and just kind of a way to get involved. So check out the Instagram. And another announcement we have here, make sure to utilize our loan refi page. We just updated the rates, still have the lowest rates available with cash back through our partnerships with about 10 refi lenders. We have a pending relationship with the Laurel Road that should be done soon. They're taking quite a while to get through, but we will get that done for you and let you know when that comes out. And First Republic is planning to increase their cash bonus. Right now it's $300, but it should be more and we'll give you details on that pretty soon. And next, make sure to check out the list of recommended mortgage lenders, disability, life insurance agents, and CPAs on the website. We're also gonna be having a recommended CFP and that'll be coming in the next month or so. We'll give an announcement for that as well. And finally, uh, this one's more of a personal announcement for Vision Expo East. If you guys are going, I am giving two lectures on Sunday. The first one's called The Lean Machine, Systematic Approach to an Efficient and Cost-Effective Practice. That one's on Sunday, March 29th, and it's really early, 7.15 a.m. So if you guys can make it out, it'd be awesome to see some of the OTs on finance people. Second one is Creating a Long-Term Private Practice Success Through Real Estate, and that's also on Sunday, and that one's at 9.45 a.m. And what I'm hoping is that after these two lectures, would love to, whoever's coming to that, the lecture just afterwards, would love to buy you a beer or a coffee, just have kind of a roundtable discussion about private practice, about finance, things that we talk about in the group. So if you're interested, just send me a message or just approach me at Vision Expo and we can definitely work that out. And also Mick Kling, who was on the program a while back, Profit First guy, he's gonna have about five lectures that weekend, including a Profit First lecture on Saturday. So make sure to check him out as well if you're going to Vision Expo. So yeah, let's go ahead and jump into the program. So today we have Dr. Gerber on with us, very well-known face in optometry. And I'm just gonna read you his biography real quick for those who are unfamiliar with him. So Dr. Gerber is the founder and chief dream officer for The Power Practice, a practice building and consulting company whose mission is to help doctors power their professional and personal dreams. He is also the co-founder of Treehouse Eyes, the country's first company dedicated exclusively to providing expert myopia management services. Dr. Gerber is a prolific writer and speaker, as well as an accomplished mentalist and magician who often uses illusions to help illustrate his key learning points, as well as entertaining his audiences. He has authored hundreds of articles and given more than 500 thought-provoking and enlightening presentations. He is also the host of the Power Hour, Optometry's only live talk radio show, and something that I listen to all the time, great show. His team of consultant optometrists at The Power Practice is renowned for the innovative strategies and comprehensive systems used to build their clients' practices. Comprised of knowledgeable authorities from all sectors of the optometric business world, these consultants specialize in taking the middle of the bell curve practices and making them highly profitable and efficient. When he's not powering the dreams of his Power Practice clients or working to eradicate myopia, he's powering his own dreams as a touring musician with Joe Turner, the singer for Deep Purple and Rainbow. So Dr. Gerber, thanks for joining us. 
Thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. Hey, if you're buying beer at Expo, I'm in. You can. All right. Sounds good. Thousand OD show up to that one. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> that's the goal, right? <laughs> All right. So yeah, let's so let's jump into myopia control for a little bit first. Uh, it's a hot topic in this day and age, and you know you're one of the experts. You've built a great company around it. So. First thing, let's just go into the methods of myopia control. You know, we have ortho K, CRT, probably the most common one that people think of when they think of myopia control, but there's other ways as well. We've got soft multifocal contact lenses, Cooper Vision just released my site. Also, there's atropine therapy. We've got traditional ways such as bifocals, progressives, and even reduced single vision power lenses. So if you can just go through a little bit about each of these methods and yeah. pros and cons. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm not a clinical myopia management expert. What I do when I launched the company, um, we put together an advisory board of experts who helped us put our clinical protocol together, which is one of the things that we license to the doctors that work with us. So my my area of expertise is really the, the practice building profitability side of myopia. But with that, having been immersed in Treehouse Eyes, the, the company started five years ago. We opened our first center three years ago. I certainly learned a lot like a real lot and I, I i gotta say i don't i don't practice anymore i don't see patients anymore i haven't for a long time um but myopia is it's not just a hot topic it's not the next big thing it's here now now's the time to jump in and get excited about myopia and it's really within the ability of any mere mortal od to be a myopia rock star um, so some so with that i feel comfortable talking about something clinical because i was like the solid c plus student at SUNY. so <laughs> when it comes to clinical stuff with myopia specifically having sat in now probably hundreds of hours of lectures in the last five years i think i, I think i can answer your question yeah, yeah. oh and before you continue actually uh yeah. there people right. can't hear you they're telling you to turn your mic up a little bit yeah oh, okay my bad Let's see if this I'll raise it up a little bit. I guess I can just do this maybe a low budget way. Any better? Uh, sounds better on my end. How about you guys? That, uh, there's about three that commented. Okay. For those of you who can't hear me, can you hear me now? It's, it's the Verizon commercial guy. Can you hear me? <laughs> How about the T-Mobile guy? How about the Sprint guy? Yeah, one of those. Is that better? Uh, no one is commenting. It sounds better on my end. here a little bit okay. louder. So, yeah, you, you can do. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm not I'm not a myopia clinical expert, but since you asked the question, um, not want to shy away from giving an answer. Uh, so let, let's talk about some of the things that don't work. Um, we're, we're pretty confident that conventional bifocal eyeglasses don't do much. There's some data that in some kids that have a, uh, a big accommodative lag and esophoria and might be some help, but the newest data is even in those kids is probably not much of a benefit. So. As of today, I would probably take eyeglasses off the table because we can do so much better. That said, there's eyeglass lens designs down the way. Hoya's got MyoSmart with Tim's technology. Essor's got MyOpalux. Hoya's got MyoSight. I can't keep all the Myo names straight, but all the big companies will have an eyeglass lens uh, or already have one. Um, and yeah, there, there's other things that you spoke about. There's the optical mechanism, which could be an ortho design. C CRT specifically, we don't use it. Um, only because the off the, the current off-the-shelf CRT, the OZ might be a little bit too small because most of the data is showing you want a, a smaller 
smaller OD slash treatments almost a bit better. Mm. So we use our own proprietary design, which is essentially just a, a significantly smaller OD. Um, and, that, and that's you know, pretty widely accepted nowadays. So off-the-shelf lenses, you got to be careful. Uh, my site, Dana Lisco, we're super excited about it. In fact, I'm going to have Dan McBride, their uh, top dog at Cooper's, going to come on the power hour. We're going to be talking about it. So, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of cool stuff is on the way for you know, for treating these kids, and we got to get more doctors involved. I, I love waving the myopia flag because there's over 10 million kids that need to be treated, and um, you know, t- two or three hundred doctors in the U.S. is not enough to do it. So, you know, I'm glad we have a chance to talk about it. Hopefully, it can motivate some guys to do it. I, I I get asked often, like, why would I advocate that others do this who may not be treehouse eyes doctors? Um, and here's a stat I've thrown out many times. There's, on the low side, there's 10 million myopic kids in the U.S. today. And as we know, the rate of increase is pretty significant. If we were to open up, we have, we have 15 centers today. If we opened up 100 with the snap of my fingers, we got 100 centers. If each one of those saw 1,000 kids, on the low side. we would be at a deficit. We couldn't treat those 100,000 kids we would treat we would still be behind the curve because more kids are coming into the pipeline that we can treat. So we got to get doctors doing it. They got to do it the right way. That's kind of one of our biggest fears is that doctors don't really do this the right way. Yeah. Hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, no, it does. And that kind of segues into our next question. How does a practitioner that doesn't have myopia control in their practice, how do they introduce it? How do they build a patient base? How do they get the right staff training? Yeah. All that that goes into it. Commitment. It's like anything else. You know, you could ask the question: um, How do they bring in dry eye? Um, or how do they bring in scleral lenses, or low vision, or VT, or pediatrics, or whatever they want to do? Um, you got to you got to make a conscious commitment to to doing it. You got to have the right technology. Um, the big the biggest gap is it, 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 I I would tell doctors to approach it sequentially. First, they obviously need to get clinically educated and they got to really understand the science. Like I said, it's not that hard, but there's a lot of it and mm-hmm. they just have to commit to really learning. It's not something you want to dabble in it. You're not going to do the kids justice. It'd be like, you know, you talked about bifocal eyeglasses. That's the wrong thing for the kid. Mm-hmm. So first thing is you got to get yourself educated. A lot of, a lot of resources we're, we're uh, working with Jobson on uh, the myopia meeting. We're doing four of those vision by designs coming up. GSLS just came up. Um, they're kind of all over the place. So there's stuff out there go to local society. I mean, it's just, just make sure the content that you get is and it. I'm not, this is, this is an uncomfortable thing to say, but I got to say, cause I want to take care mm-hmm. of these myopic kids. Make sure the person giving you content knows what you're talking about. And if, if it's something yeah, important. like like six kids, um, I guess you can learn a little bit. But you, you want to really get it from, from experts, from legit experts, evidence-based. Because there's a lot of uh, myopia treatment myths out there. So go to some top-shelf meetings. You know, we're biased, obviously. But there's there's other speakers other than ours that are, that are good. Just make sure you go to the good ones. And then our practice building side, like I said, you have the right equipment. The biggest challenge that we see with the dabblers is they don't realize how time consuming it can be to do this. And that's usually scheduling. So we advocate to change your scheduling template to take longer than you think it's going to so you're not under the gun. And a lot of the time commitment 
is from parents asking questions. Mm. So that relates to your staff comment. How do you get your staff aligned? Just think of bringing in dry eye. If, here's you know here's a, a challenge for the people who are listening that want to bring in myopia. Go up to your staff. Some of these people could have been. You could have an optician who's been in the business for 30 years. Go up to that person and say, "What is myopia?" And I will guarantee that they're going to say it's nearsightedness. It causes blurry distance vision. Now, if that's where your myopia staff education is, you got a lot of work because the parent response is, okay, if it's blurry distance vision, make it clear. Right. Which is, give me, give me glasses. So it all comes back to axial length and the disease process and everything else. And optometry classically doesn't think of myopia that way. So you really need to educate your staff. Our onboarding, when we launched our company, we took people who literally didn't know their OD and their OS uh, from outside the industry, mm -hmm. and we trained them for five weeks straight before we let them loose on a patient. That's it's a lot. It's a, it's a big yeah. financial commitment because you're working with somebody and paying them with, you know, they're not generating revenue for it. Right. That's, you know, we feel pretty strongly do it the right way. And I would, like I said, I would say the same thing for dry thorough lenses or anything else. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And any tips or advice on current myopia control practitioners, how they can build their patient bases, how they can market and get out there? Yeah, the guys that really have it easy, uh, we, we did it the hard way. We opened up with no primary care. When we opened up our first two TRI centers, we did myopia management only, no primary care, no adults, no insurance, um, just myopic kids, period. If you came in, you were a hyperopic kid, we referred you out. If you were an adult, you wanted ortho K for vision, we referred you out. So we did it the hard way. The way to market it, if you're just starting out, you probably have, a, depending on how old your practice is, you may have hundreds or in some cases thousands of myopic kids in your own database. Um, so I would absolutely start there. If you are not, and you and you have you have to do it in this order. Don't do your marketing first to try and get these kids to show up. Get everything mm -hmm. set up. Get all your systems in place. Get your fee templates. What are you going to do when somebody says, "Give me insurance. Doesn't pay for this." Get everything figured out first. Do simulations on the telephone so you can answer parent questions. How come I never heard about this? Uh, my ophthalmologist said this doesn't work. My pediatrician never heard of it. Make sure you're prepared for all that because if you market to the public at large, you're going to get those questions right away. And if you don't answer them properly, your marketing is a waste. So if you do all that first, that's a big if. Hmm. You do all that first. Social media can be great. Remember you're marketing to the parents of the myopic kids, 35 to 45. So paid Facebook ads with the right message can be right, can, can be great. Um, uh, Google, you know, AdWords, SEO, all that sort of stuff, because the, the target is really social media driven. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the next thing, just like you're probably building your primary care practice, when that kid finally walks in, just be a rock star, do a great job. Um, and then from there, it's reviews and word of mouth and everything else. But to get the first couple ones in, social media is great, provided you first have all your ducks in a row inside the office or it's going to be a really bad spend. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. And we've got quite a few cold start practitioners in our group and also just an influx of students that just joined. So can you just give a kind of a bare bones? What do you need to start a myopia control practice? What are some, what's the equipment you need? And yeah, 
Um, yeah. You need all the basics that you probably have now. Uh, the basic basic is you need an autorefractor, and the reason you need that is for cycloplegic autorefractions, not for uh, you know, prescribing per se, but it's a good way. It's, it's probably the most reliable way in a kid to track the refraction for the visitability. So you need to cycle a kid. The thing with cyclo ARs that we learned is you have to cycloplegic kid for real, not like put the drop in and then rush and come back in 10 minutes. Um, the kid has to be well done before you, you do it. Right? That's one. Um, most docs probably have that. The next is you have to have, to have a great topographer. Should be a standalone, is preferred than a combo. Um, at a minimum, it should do axial maps that do differences. So the difference from this visit to next year's visit. Um, that's at a minimum. The more data is better. We, we use Pentacam, AXLs, and Menmots because we're okay. great. Yeah. So we want to get a great part of the cornea and the back of the cornea, but that's awesome mm -hmm. because we're doing some research and studies and some other stuff about some back of the cornea stuff. Um, so you need a great topographer. And um, it's interesting at GSLS, they asked a, they had a session called uh, Current Controversies in Myopia Management, which it should be called instead of controlled to sidebar. Um, they had current controversies in myopia management, and they were talking about they have to measure axial length. And I saw the title, and I went to the organizer, and I said, what's, what's the controversy? Of course, you have to measure axial length, because what are you managing? Right. <laughs> you don't measure axial length. Are you going to go to Weight Watchers and not have a scale, which is for my friend Barry Ida? So, mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to measure axial length, and using a, um, a scan doesn't count because it's not accurate enough. You can measure it like this or like this. That's true, yeah. It depends on the axis, axis yeah. So it's it's got to be an optical biometer uh, to do it the right way. That, To me, th those are the basics. Okay. Great. And, yeah, any tips or comments on making myopia con management, not control, more yeah. profitable? <laughs> so every time we hear a doctor say control, they have to put a, you know, kind of put a quarter in this thing. I know, right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's like a swear jar. Yeah, that's easy. You got to got to charge for your time because it's mm -hmm. going to take you a lot of time. Here's here's another challenge with regard to dabbling where a lot of dabblers start and stop. And this and this is with my power practice hat on. Um, a doctor will go to a lecture at the uh, state association meeting about getting started with scleral lenses in your practice. For for example, they go back. They're all jacked up to do it, and they get a couple cases under their belt, but it takes them longer than they thought, and they're kind of rushing. So while they're in the exam room with the patient, the patient that's waiting for them, they're in exam room one, the patient waiting in exam room two is Presbyo, who now is, they had a one o'clock appointment, they don't get seen until 1.45. Because of that, they leave without buying glasses. So mm -hmm. at the end of the month, you do that three times, three scleral fits and he lost three $1,200 high-end progressive lens sales right. probably made just a little bit of incremental money so you say you know what it's not worth my time to do the sclerals that's because you were dabbling and if you charge enough of course it's worth your time to sit up for anything it's 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 worth your time just to do primary care with those subspecialties if you charge them up yeah. so knowing up front that this is going to take more time before you start, you know, that's the case. Make sure you set your fees. I know you guys apparently on your website you do a lot of data analysis and things like that. You got to know your chair cost when you're doing this. You just have to uh, figure out your chair cost. Um, I would 
tell you based on our experience initially if you're new to this count on the first visit with the first kid taking two hours so that means during those two hours how many from an opportunity cost how many primary care patients will you not see during those two hours and eventually with time and expertise you can get it down to maybe an hour and 15 minutes right okay and what are ways to make it more efficient that going off of the two hour thing? How... Uh, it's, it's mostly uh, practice. Think about when you graduated optometry school and refraction took you three and a half hours, right? It's just, you do more of it. You get a little bit more, more problem focused in your approach. Case presentation gets a little bit tighter, a little, little bit leaner without leaving out the essential elements. Um, I think you just got to do more of it. There's, there's, there's no cutting corners. I mean, you really have a responsibility to the kid and to the parent. I mean, you have this with every patient. Obviously, you want to do a great job. But you're going to start seeing these kids younger and younger as you get better. You know, we've seen kids as old as six months. That's our, our youngest. Um, we have a four-year-old kid in contact lenses. So you have, a, you have like a really pretty profound professional obligation not to screw these kids up i mean you, you got to get it right if you, yeah. if you blow a presbyo reading prescription because you're plus a quarter under a little bit it's like nobody got hurt right and they'll mm -hmm. come back and they'll complain and, and fix it um somebody just threw something up they couldn't hear the equip best equipment for axial yeah axi two uh, people are asking about axial length equipment yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, best equipment is a optical biometer we, we use the pentacam axl is is our favorite yeah, Pentacam AXL for those that just asked. Cool. And then... Pentacam, they just announced a GSLS. I don't know the model. The the AXL is the price of a really nice BMW. Um, they have a new one. They have a new Pentacam that measures axial length. It's not the AXL. That's a lot less. They have a special deal with we, with um wave contact lenses so if you contact the oculus guys they can fill you in i don't know the exact particulars but it's pretty pretty sweet deal okay yeah. and actually stemming off of that uh putting your power practice hat on for a little bit if someone wants to get into this what do you recommend they just buy this equipment straight up should they lease what uh depends depends on the practice mm -hmm. uh depends on where your financials are um that's a that's a tough one to give a broad answer what one of the things that's different with myopia management is if you do it right, the margins can be pretty significant. So let's let's say you're going to buy a topography. Let, let's say you're going to whatever it's going to be topography length. Let's say it costs thirty thousand um, dollars. That that's not going to take you a lot of kids to get back. Mm. Like, and if you if you get your chops together, you could probably recoup that. That's my dog, by the way. If you didn't hear, generator <laughs> for smelling, yeah. Um, uh, you you can recoup that probably uh, in the order of two or three months. So if that's the case, I think you can make an argument not to finance it. Mm -hmm. You can get it paid back pretty quickly. Um, another thing that you can do is if you're not doing myopia management now, let's give you an easier example. Let's say you're not doing it now and you don't have a topographer. The first thing you have to do is get educated. So while you're doing that, you're going to classes, um, and you're pretty confident you'll have your education chops in line, let's just say by it's, uh, it's February. 
by August in six months, you'll be ready to do something. Okay, so what if starting in May, May, June, July, August, you got four months, you start talking to moms and you tell them that in August, I'm going to be offering a new service. And you tell them about my OP management. And again, your staff is already dialed in. You know what your fees are going to be like. All that stuff is done. Then what you do is you buy the device, and most manufacturers will give you a little bit of a trial. like to let you play with it for 30 days. You, you could effectively, if you have these people in the queue in four months, you could have, let's again, make the numbers easy. It's, it's $15,000. Let's say you're charging three grand for mm -hmm. a case. Let's, let's say you can net three grand for a case. Um, you have 10 cases lined up. You call them up. Five of them will drop out. So you, you could pay cash for your topographer in one day by doing the five cases. Sure, by yeah. The money math. Yeah. a demand before you buy the technology it's just because the margins are so high if you if you set it up properly if you put the time in up front instead of right. just buying a topographer and saying what should i charge i guess i'll go take my opiate class yeah yeah and actually just got a message got a question here involving marketing so we talked a little bit about targeted social media and mm -hmm. internet marketing how about visiting schools, you know, doing school screenings, different things like that? Is that, is that a good way to market myopia um, management? The way it works the best is get a patient who's at the school first. There's a couple of challenges with, with any school screening. First of all, mm -hmm. go into a school screening thinking that the prospective patient does not have a relationship with an eye doctor already. It's usually wrong for a kid. Mm -hmm. So what you're trying to do is not establish a new relationship. You're trying to break an existing relationship with the current doctor. Now, I'm not saying that's good or bad ethically, whatever. Right. Yeah. It's harder to do than if they don't have a doctor, most of them do. So school screenings typically may not work that well um, unless you go in there and you have a parent who can advocate for you, a parent of a kid or that's already working with you. And then a better thing that works in school instead of screening is speaking at the school. So trying to get a speaking event in front of PTO or some other type of parents organization. Okay. Yeah, um, that makes sense. To do that, you just got to make sure that, again, everything is sequentially is ready to go. Because if you speak on a Tuesday night and somebody comes up to you and says, okay, I want to bring my kid in tomorrow. I'm off from work. You better be ready to go. Yeah. So make, again, get, you know, we, we call it set up before launch. And the hardest part of myopia, of the myopia management part is not to doing the myopia. It's getting set up in advance planning so you will succeed makes sense and got one question here what's treehouse size instagram <laughs> do you guys have an instagram uh, yeah we do you, you figure i would know right um i'll look it up while we're on the phone I guess. okay i'd never go i'm, I'm an old go instagram <laughs> but I, yes i know we have one we uh we're, why we're here and while you're looking for that, that brings us to our last question about myopia management. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about Treehouse Eyes, the way that you set that up and how that all works? Sure. So, uh, treehouse underscore eyes, I think. I guess you can try that and see what happens. All right, Damaris, Treehouse underscore eyes. <laughs> um, yeah, the way, look, the way, way we set it up is, you, you mean the... Um, Kind of if somebody wants to work with us. Actually. Yeah, if, if someone wants to work with you, your overall business model and yeah. Yeah, so 
what we, we have uh, two company-owned centers in Washington D.C. where we kind of try stuff out. That's like the uh, that, and we we opened those a little over three years ago. That was like the test lab, the concept, because nobody was crazy enough to just do myopia by itself before us. So we figured before to bring this to somebody else, let's see if it's a viable business. So we did. We figured it out. We made all the mistakes, so we'll never do that again. Uh, and by the way, marketing and the wrong messaging was one of the big ones. Right, so we yeah. had a ton of marketing that didn't work. Um, so we will never do that again. We did public relations that worked really well, mm -hmm. but we did it too early. So we have the time sequence down. So now what we do is we take everything that we've learned. Think of the two DC centers, like a two big giant Starbucks company-owned stores. Mm -hmm. And then think about, you're right, you said you're up in the Bay Area. So think about there's a Starbucks in your town that's 3,000 square feet. Right. If you go to the Starbucks in San Francisco airport, that one is about 150 square feet. Mm -hmm. So we have a really cool, unique look and feel to our centers, uh, and we're able to shrink that down and get it to fit inside a doctor's exam room. So we actually put a triage eye center inside your office. Okay. Uh, and then we license everything that we learn on proprietary clinical protocol, when to use atropine, when to use a custom RGP lens. Um, along with all the marketing that we've tested, we put it through the meat grinder, we know it works, and the big thing is to set up all the, all the 9,000 steps that you need to do, the documentation, the informed consent, what if the kid doesn't move forward, the declining treatment documentation, because what if the kid doesn't move forward, and in eight years their retina falls off, mm -hmm. right? So you better have something that says, hey, mom, I told you, and you said, no, it's not my fault. Right. Um, yeah, there's a there's a lot of steps. So they we, we license all that along with the training. In fact, this um, Saturday uh, we'll be onboarding the next five locations in our DC center. They're going through their brand immersion training, showing how to use the brand and all that sort of stuff. So it's yeah, it's it's pretty pretty intense way that we do it. And then uh, we charge a monthly licensing fee. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if anybody's interested, the email is grow, G-R-O-W, at triassize.com. I can send them all the stuff. Great. And how big is Triassize now? How... Uh, as of this discussion, uh, 15 locations. We'll have 30 mm -hmm. by the end of this year. And probably in two or three years, we're up to, up to about 103 that we're going. Then we'll start going outside the U.S. because that's really the holy grail of myopia is China. Yeah. yeah. So we're going from here to Canada to China is the plan. Cool, cool. All right. And to everyone listening, any other questions on myopia management for Dr. Gerber? If not, we'll shift gears a little bit, just talk about general private practice. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no more questions. If some pop up, we can still answer them. So if you show up a little bit late, feel free to ask. Sure. All right. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about general private practice, uh, practice ownership. So through your experience with consulting, what are the biggest issues you think that uh, private practice owners are currently facing? You know, the, the biggest the biggest issues, if you think of there's external forces that are chipping away at optometry, uh, public contact lenses, online refractions by whoever finally figures it out and it works and it's probably not that far away. Mm -hmm. That's all external stuff. The reason ODs are under-indexed and not making more money is not the external stuff. It's what's going on inside their office. There's so much opportunity out there. Look, look at it this way. Half of the population needs some type of vision correction. The, 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 C, the former CEO of Toys R Us before the company got ran into the ground, he was the guy that put the Ferris wheel in Times Square. 
um, changed it from a Home Depot look to a cool looking retail store. It's like four CEOs ago mm-hmm. when I was living in Jersey, he was my next door neighbor. And I remember going out to dinner with him one time. Uh, and I really, I, I, I just learned how to help these mostly by listening to other, how other businesses do it. So I said to him, you know, you're in a pretty tough business. You got Walmart selling toys, Amazon selling toys. How do you guys make any money? Because you told me your margins like two and three percent. It's like a grocery business. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he, he told me some of his merchandising things, and branding, and things like that. Um, and then he said to me, "How do you guys do it?" And I explained to him, "Well, you know, here's 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 the numbers in our world. We we can buy a frame for a hundred dollars. We can sell it for two hundred dollars. If it doesn't sell, we send it back to the manufacturer and we get a credit." And he said. Wait, say say that part again. He said, you buy it and you can send it back. And he say, he goes, you know, we have to buy toys six months in advance and we own them. We buy them and we own them. Yeah. So we better know what's going to sell. And then he said to me, you know, there's 300 million people in the United States. How many need some type of vision correction? I said, half. And he said, how many doctors are there, including ophthalmologists? I said, probably about 50,000 at the time. Mm-hmm. So he took, literally, he took out the back of a napkin and he started scribbling some notes. And he said, okay, so there's 150 million people need vision correction. You guys have on frames alone, let's not even talk about the professional fees. You have right. this crazy markup and you can send stuff back. So he goes, and, and there's only 50,000 of you guys. And I said, well, you know, it's actually less because that 50,000, we probably work in 30,000 locations, like 30,000 doors, probably even less. So he said to me, so the average optometrist makes how much, like $150 million? <laughs> and I said, well, not exactly. And he, and he said, how come? And if you think of it that way, he's right, because we're so under-indexed. The opportunity is so big. Yeah. We're not even close so true. to doing what we should be doing. We're not in a recession-proof business by any means, but I think we're recession-resistant, and we're the economic swing resistant so you see what's going on with the coronavirus and airlines and everything else and the markets up the markets down and all i don't know how it finished today i think it closed up um, but i i would guess most ods since the coronavirus has has started have not seen a significant dip in their business right um, yeah. so it's it's not external stuff and the fact that mm-hmm. hubble wants to take your contact lens business from you or visibly, or it wants to, if they're still in business, wants to do online refraction, like, yeah, what, whatever, that's fine. Uh, mm-hmm. the, problem, the problem's inside the practice. So right. the issue is, and the issue, honestly, it, it's up here. Mm-hmm. We just think too small. Yeah. Um, you, know, you know, doctors come into practice and say, I want to make a million bucks in my practice. That's my goal. And we tell our clients, you know, you kind of get a million dollars for showing up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Hey, Meyer. It's like, <laughs> it's like making three and four million dollars you got to really start thinking about it but mm-hmm. it's, it's really not that hard mm-hmm. to make money and to make a lot of money is hard harder right but if you think it through and you plan and you, you know you, you, you can take my everything i said about myopia management just expand it to your whole practice by getting things in place and going sequentially so most ods I talked about myopia management get a good clinical education first so we kind of have that with primary care we graduate school we're pretty smart Mm-hmm. Um, the thing we never really did was plan to succeed in business. We didn't, I mean, even those words, most of us didn't have a business plan. 
Oh yeah. Uh, you know, our business plan is I'll open up and I'll figure out and I'll kind of see what happens. Um, and and because it it's relatively easy to make money, most of us do okay mm-hmm. without a business plan. Um, but I think I would type. You have a lot of younger uh, docs on your site or listening or, or watching. Is that um, we tend to be pretty we we tend to go into a our own practice undercapitalized. We just don't borrow enough money. Now I understand, Gary. Easier for you to say in graduate school, two hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt. I understand that. The challenge is if you don't. If you go to open up and you don't have enough money, you'll probably still do okay, but you're just going to do okay. So I actually advocate borrowing more than you think is necessary because most of these loans, business loans, you can pay back early if you need to. You can get some of it as working capital so you have a cushion. Hmm. Um, yeah, but the biggest thing, getting back to your discussion, I could talk about this all night. I've been doing it for 30 years. Um, the, the, the biggest issue to practice growth is really it's 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 the the practice owner. You gotta you got to you have to take calculated risks. We're we're a very risk averse profession. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying take crazy risks. I'm saying calculated risks. There's a big difference. Um, understand market dynamics, and don't be afraid to like experiment and try something. One of, one of the benefits of being a small business person is that you get to be wrong. You get you get to say I'm gonna I'm gonna raise my fee on AR lenses because I want to make more money. So I'm charging $100 today. I'm gonna raise to $150 tomorrow. And what if you were selling? What, what if 30% of patients were buying them? And tomorrow you raise to $150. You do it for two weeks and 0% buy them. I guess that was a bad idea. So yeah. lower it. Learn and adjust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what if what if you raise it and you're still at 30%. What if it goes up because now your value proposition is higher because $150 lens must be more valuable than $100 lens. Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing, just kind of general, we're, we're afraid of charging appropriate like myopia because we believe the more we charge, the fewer patients we'll see. That's that's one right. of the biggest fallacies in, in any business really because if that's the case, for those listening, if you want to see more patients, and you're afraid to raise your fees, that'll scare patients, then lower your fees and see more patients. So the two things don't always work that way. It's, it's, it's the value equation, the value proposition that you have to take a look at. Yeah, I agree. And I think we got two questions. On, do you see them on the sidebar there? Um, let's see, Instagram, okay. Uh, is, is Euclid a good design? Yeah, Euclid's great. We, we use a, a ton of Euclid lenses. Great, great company to work with, highly recommend them. Um, how, how often are you cycling AOP patient? Does it depend? Um, okay, so we cycle the kids um, at least every year when they come back. And we, we try to see the kid every six months. That's the ideal scenario. Um, and at that visit, we want to do, do serial axial length and serial cyclo ARs. Uh, but at a minimum once a year, and does it depend? No, it doesn't dependent treatment modality. You know, that's really interesting that somebody asked because that gets back to the whole like prescription vision piece of myopia. The reason it doesn't care about the modality because our goal is to inhibit axial elongation. Um, so it's it's really, you, you want to take the treatment modality out of it. And a lot of people say, well, I'm using atropine. It's going to screw up the kid's accommodation. 
if you use diluted atropine, yeah, they lose a little bit of accommodation. They get a little bit of a dry assist. We, we, we tend to start with 0.025 as our lead. Uh, 0.01 doesn't work, so if you're using that, you better stop. Um, so the, the accommodative part of it is unrelated to the inhibition of axial elongation, which is, I'm curious if that person asked the question, does cycling depend on treatment modality? No, it doesn't. You've got to cycle everybody. Okay. Great. And then, yeah, let's go on to our next question here on the outline. Uh, what are the biggest problems practice owners are facing regarding cash flow right now? And what are some solutions? Yeah, cash flow. So, um, you know, there's, there's only two things you can do. You can make more money or spend less, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like to simplify things. That's, that's, yeah. Answer. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the spending less, you got to be careful on what you spend less on. You got to spend smart. I think is what it is. Mm -hmm. And that kind of gets back to taking, you know, I, I sound like a politician talking out both sides of my mouth, but I, I, on one hand, I'm saying spend less, and then I'm saying take out a bigger loan, which means bigger loan payment, right? So <laughs> the question, what do you do with the money? Right. Um, and I think to increase cash flow to make more money, you got to, one of the easiest things, you, 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 can, you can give, you can fix almost every problem in your practice by raising your fees. There's almost no problem you can't, fix it's kind of like depending on your political persuasion you can throw money at the problem mm -hmm. that'll fix the problem well throw a higher fee collect a higher fee for the same everything same service same overhead same staff same insurance same rent Collect the higher fee and bam your cash flow just goes up so we tend not to charge enough is the big thing now if you're saying well i can't i i could charge a patient one hundred eighty-six thousand dollars for an eye exam i'm only going to get paid eleven dollars by the managed vision care plan Okay, in that case, you're right, but there's a lot of things that you can't control. And those things need to be looked at line item by line item, line item by line item. And you need to keep raising until they stop buying. Mm -hmm. So it gets back to the example with AR. Um, look at your best-selling frames. So ask your uh, – if, if, if you don't know which are your best sellers, let's say you have 100 frames in your office, the 80-20 rule always applies. 20% of your best sellers take the 20% of the 20%. Take your 4% of your best-selling frames. Go in tomorrow and raise the price on those frames, just on those frames. Mm -hmm. And keep raising the price until, patients, until it's no longer your best-selling frame and then lower back just a little bit. That will make you more money right away. Uh, your best selling, your go to contact lens, raise it by $3 a box. Um, at the patient shop online for contact lenses, yeah, the same patients are going to shop and the same patients are going to buy. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's usually some wiggle room lens add ons, AR transitions, Polaroid, all that sort of stuff. You just, the stuff you have control of, you got to raise your fees. Yeah, great. I'm glad you managed, I'm glad you mentioned the 80 20 rule. I've put that in our book on our practice measure. Management section, oh, yeah. so it's, yeah, it's, it's a, where it doesn't apply. Yeah, yeah, it just the Pareto principle. It, it works. <laughs> yeah, he's a pretty smart guy. All right, I think we got another question on the sidebar. Pearls for cold start not taking vision plans. Uh, oh yeah, great, great question. Yeah, so like I said, we uh, can use the treehouse size model as an example. Um, you know, we cold cold took on a cold start. Um, Cold Star, who was only able to appeal to 13% of the population, because we, in D.C., 13% of kids are myopic. Um, so have a really, really tight business plan. Get yourself a lot of help. 
Um, there's a lot of good content out there. I haven't spent a lot of time on, on your site, but the little bit that I saw was looks good. So you know, props to you guys for doing this. We need, we need things like this. We need you guys pushing this kind of content out there. So go go into the go into your cold start um, with a really firm business plan, and then put yourself in the perspective patients in the in the perspective patient who has a vision care plan. Put yourself in their shoes. And say, what would it take for me to go to an office that doesn't accept my insurance? And you have to check off all those boxes. I, and there, there are practices in the country that survive and do really well without vision care plans. And we, we have set several of those clients, and it's because they really have a very strategic way to do it. So they, so they focus on the things that if somebody's going to pay out of pocket, you better take really great care of me. You better provide a concierge-like experience. If I have a 1 o'clock appointment, you better see me at 1 o'clock. And if you're going to charge me here, – here's, here's – let me, let me explain it this way. This is a better way to do it instead of going through frames and lenses. Um, if, if a patient has a vision care plan, let's say they're out of pocket – with everything, with copays and all the stuff they're going to get dinged that's not covered. Let's say it's $50. And let's say if they would have bought that from your office, it was $400 for the exam, for, for the services, any products that they got. So you have to make a compelling argument. Why are you $350 better? It's no different than if there were no vision care plans and somebody charges $50 and you charge $350. Why are you $350 better? What's going to make somebody come to you? So look at it more globally that way. It usually comes down to selling products that are unique and very tailored for the individual. Make sure they, they really are. You can't just say you got you got to do it. Providing a customer experience. I'm saying customer from the perspective of when you're retail business making sure the customer experience is so far above and beyond what they could get elsewhere, they can't help but tell their friends. When I, when I was in practice, we would do things like when somebody came into the office. Um, most people listening have a little Keurig machine for coffee or Mr. Coffee or something that's in, that's in the corner. And if mm -hmm. the patient wants a cup of coffee, they help themselves and they get some coffee. That's kind of cool. But that's not really unique because a lot of practices do that. Right. So we did because we didn't take any vision care plans and we charged a lot of money. Um, after somebody – when somebody walked in, our office concierge would go up to him and say, would you like a cup of coffee? So that was the first thing. We, we asked them if they wanted it instead of help yourself because a lot of people say, would you like it? Go, go get it. Okay. okay. If they said, yeah, I want some coffee, we would ask, how do you like it? And they sell like a black with sugar. We would go prepare their coffee. We'd bring it to them. But we didn't stop there. We gave them their coffee. We said, the doctor with you in just a moment. We'll get you started, technician, whatever they're coming in for. We'd go, we'd go into our practice management software, and we would make a note that that person likes their coffee black with sugar. So when they came back for the contact lens checkup next week, we didn't have to ask. We just gave it to them. Now, that's a customer experience that they would get at a place like a Ritz-Carlton Right, Four Seasons Hotel. They're not going to get it when they take their kid to the pediatrician. Mm -hmm. They're going to walk in. The office is going to be a bunch of screaming kids. There's going to be snot all over the place. And it's it's just it's not 
the experience that you see. The good, the good thing with that model is that the bar has been set pretty low by the rest of all medicine, not just optometry. Right, yeah. And if, if you go that route, you're going to start, which is great, you start to get compared to other businesses. Like we used to get reviews back that said, I, I wish every business worked like this, not just every doctor worked like this. We did stuff with music. We bring, because I'm, I'm a my bio, a musician. Um, I always had music playing in the office. Um, we would bring patients into the exam room. We have three exam rooms. One, one, one doctor worked out of three rooms usually. Bring them into the exam room. Say uh, something like Gerber's going to be in here in five minutes. Would you like to listen to some music? If they said yes, we'd say what kind of music? They say I like classical music. You like what kind of music do you like? I like Beethoven, like early Beethoven or late Beethoven. We'd get really drilled down. Mm -hmm. Go on Pandora, Spotify, pick one. We'd put on some late Beethoven. That went into their notes also. So when they got escorted next week into the exam room, late Beethoven was playing. Now that's stuff that's free. You have an internet connection. You probably have speakers that you don't use in your exam room. Yeah. That's stuff that's free mm -hmm. that you can just blow people away with. Is that worth an extra $350 in my example? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Right? A cup of coffee and music is not worth 350 bucks to most people. But put that together with everything else in the office where it's clean, it runs on time, you remember their name, the staff is totally top notch, you stole from a high end retail jewelry store. They know how to interact. The, the, your optician used to work in a Lexus dealership. You know, you, you start having that type of experience. And, right. and then what's great about this, it doesn't matter if you practice in where, where you are in the Bay Area or you practice in rural America, people still want to be treated like royalty. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. I personal side note, when I bought my practice in 2016, I listened to the power hour just continuously to get as much as I could. And you actually told, you talked about the personal concierge and that's something we adopted Yeah, and it has worked wonders. Yeah. A lot of patients, a lot of word of mouth is. Thanks. Yeah. For thanks. And thanks for doing it. So yeah, like, yeah. you talk about OD challenges. What you asked me a couple questions ago. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully the people that listen to this will, do it um it's stuff that they can do that's free that's fast it's easy they got to tell their staff they got an office meeting got to execute the execution is always a challenge that's the essence of my consulting company's execution but once they do it how 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 is this not going to have some positive impact on your practice like things like this you know we, we got a laundry list of a, of a hundred of these things right it isn't it's not necessarily a vip md concierge model but it's that degree of service that the goal is when you have your current patient tell their friend that I went to Aaron's practice you don't want them to talk about like wow your glasses are really nice mm -hmm. you want them to say yeah I yeah my my glasses are really nice but let me tell you about this practice the coffee the music the this that's just unbelievable what these guys do there that's right. the message I want because that'll really separate you from the pack. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Got another question here. How do you woo browsers? Is that? Is it like web browsers? <laughs> uh, Candy, can you? Is is that like? Uh, is that what you meant? <laughs> Let's see if she responds. I think there might be a. Well, I'll wait for her to respond. I think there might be a spelling error in that. Could be short. Could be short. Uh, I don't know. 
which oh, yeah. Oh, ooh, maybe, yeah, not browsers as an internet, maybe browsers and opticals. Yeah, yeah. somebody's if somebody's showrooming, um, yeah, k kill them with kindness, man. A ask them how, how they can help. What, what one, of the, one of the great things you can do, shoppers, shop, yeah, okay, yeah. So, one of the great things you can do is just ask them, Are you, are you shopping? Like, and not, not to be like, Hey, are you shopping or what? You know, be, are you shopping? Because I want to make sure you get the best absolute best pair of glasses at the best possible price that fits you absolutely perfectly and look at it from that perspective think about when you went into best buy because uh, they're usually pretty good with showrooming because everybody goes in there as a computer nerd so they're going to look on amazon for the exact same thing mm -hmm. and they still go out of their way to help you and answer questions i was looking for some uh uh, Sony um, uh, earbud things, not not the Apple ones, the other Bluetooth wireless ones. Mm -hmm. uh, and I went in there and I just look. I tried on the Apple ones. They didn't. They didn't. I was kind of underwhelmed, uh, which is why I'm still using this kind of archaic wire. And um, like the Bluetooth ones just weren't working for me. Uh, what do you guys recommend? So. He said, well, these Sony's got rated really well. And he, the guy like super educated me. And then I just asked him, are you guys price competitive? Like if I go on Amazon, would I find it for less? His answer was, yeah, of course you'll find it for less on Amazon. So I, and I was, I was prepared to buy it from him because that's mm -hmm. just me. I felt bad. He was, he did his job properly. So I think he should be rewarded. Right. But that, yeah. that would make So at, at that point, I just said to him, Look, I, if I can buy it for less, why should I buy it from you? And he gave me like a list. He, he was pretty well trained. He gave me a list of reasons how he's going to stand behind it. One of the things that was pretty cool, he he listened when I spoke to him. He said, look, you told me you're a professional musician. You're very sensitive about the sound and the, and the quality of the sound. And if you try these up to 30 days, if you don't like them, bring them back. And we'll just give you a refund on the spot. Like no questions asked. That was pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. So Amazon, you can yeah. send stuff back also. But I was I was there. He right. made it yeah, he made it's... it so easy. He eliminated as many obstacles as he possibly could. Now for the person who asked about the browser shoppers and looky loos, if that's all the same person, you have a good look. I think it is, yeah. Some good adjectives there. Um, what I'm saying is not going to work on everybody, but the the approach is viable to enough people that's worth doing. Where you'll capture enough that it's worth your effort. Makes sense. I got one more question for you. I didn't put it on the outline before we wrap things up here. And so our very first live event was a. Uh, it involved basically a few practice owners uh, all around the U.S., myself included, and a few other ones, uh, both in sublease and private practice areas uh, that were netting 300k and above. And it got a lot of questions. It got a lot of interest from our group. And I think you commented on it as well, that you had quite a few involved with your consulting business that net over 300. What would be just a few characteristics that define these practices? What What do you notice? What are some universal trends that you see? Uh, some of the stuff I spoke about, I mean, look, net, netting over 300 grand as in, that's pre-tax, right? Yeah, pre-tax. <laughs> right, so or you could do post-tax, whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> just a high net. Yeah. Okay, so what these practices have in common, it's kind of like I said before. So like netting 300 means depending on where you are in the country. So you're grossing like one, two, one, three, something like that. Mm -hmm. okay. And those are practices that went into this saying, look, and I'm, I'm not 
with this next comment, I'm not saying money is everything. It's not you can mm -hmm. be happy, right? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of words. That's the reason we're hopefully why we're all here. That's, that's why we do it. Yeah. But if you're if you're money driven, and this is ODs on finance, I'm reading it right on my screen. Okay, so if you're listening to this, you're probably somewhat profit driven. Um, you got to set the bar higher, and you got to visualize what a, what what is my dream practice, my dream net look like. If it's three hundred grand. You just created a self-fulfilling prophecy, and you, and you will get there, and you'll probably get there in, I don't know, most of our guys have got there five or six years, probably. Mm -hmm. um, we don't really track stuff like that. But if you say, you know what what I want to do, I want to I net a million dollars, and I want to not work, like, that, like that's my dream. If you said that, okay, that's mm -hmm. a totally different vision and plan and business plan and coaching program. And inventory and space planning, then three hundred thousand dollars. So think big, dream big, not like pipe dream. Mm -hmm. um, but it it is like there are there are practices, there are single owner practice. I spoke to one today. There are single owner practices in the U.S. that the doctor is putting a million dollars into their pocket, and the practice is doing maybe five and a half or six million dollars. In fact, today was on you. I actually spoke to two of them today. That's on, on you because not that many of those out there. But so, and they they went into this with a really firm plan and a really firm goal of I want to be the I want to be the biggest doctor with the highest gross in this community, like was was one of them. And right. it was it's a, it's a lot hard hard work to do. And again, I'm not saying dr drive yourself to insanity because you're so money driven that you're unhappy. But if if you're motivated, set set the bar higher. So what they what they have in common is which was your question, they, they think big, um, they take calculated risks, um, self-serving plug, they're clients of ours. And, but, but, but that said, so take, take us out of it. We obviously think we're the best consulting group out there that you asked, so I have to put that in there. But <laughs> others that I've met that don't work with us work with somebody who really gets the game, they really understand it. Um, there are a lot of kind of Dr. Evil finger quotes consultants out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so get yourself an advisor, um, seek advice, work with groups like, like this, you know, ask the right types of questions. Um, kind of hang out with the eagles and you soar with the eagles instead of hanging with the turkeys. Mm -hmm. um, so stick around like-minded big producing ODs. The other thing that's kind of cool is that the big producing ODs like they they like teaching others how they did it, not because they want to show off. They like imparting wisdom. Like what, one of the things I love about consulting, I love it's it's kind of like when you get a a patient that comes in and says, uh, Aaron, you're you're the you're the sixth doctor that I'm going to and nobody can get these glasses right. Mm -hmm. They just they just can't nail it. So you do a really careful exam, evaluation, history, and somebody just like wasn't listening to the patient. And you figure it out, you make them pure glass. That's like super gratifying without like a ton of work because you just, you, you didn't try to be a hero and move the cylinder 20 degrees. You moved it five degrees and they think right. you're a hero, right? Every doctor listening to this has had one of those experiences. And it's really emotionally gratifying. And the, and the, and the patient says to you, best doctor ever, I'm sending all my friends. When we get a practice that we help, it's gratifying for us to help them get to their that 
personal realization that they hit that vision. We just love doing it. That's why, you know, my title is people tease me, you're the chief dream officer, really? Like, that's it? Yeah, because we want doctors to achieve their dreams, and they're going to do it by, by dreaming big and dreaming bigger. And then they got to execute. I said one of the essences of good consulting is showing doctors how to get the job done. The, the content and of how to do it. I said, he said to me, talk about selling two pairs of glasses. Like, what's the secret? There aren't no secrets. It's all been written about. There's a mm -hmm. like, it's package pricing. It's buy one get one. There's a hundred different ways to do it. It's executing to get it done. So it's like coming back from that meeting again, like I said, you're all jacked up. How to actually do it and how to get it to stick. So the execution is the hard part. So a good consultant and what we see in these high grossing and high in these high netting practices is that they're really good at execution and they focus on the execution to the to almost to the exclusion of the strategy because the strategies are out there. It's how mm -hmm. do I get it done? So somebody's listening and they say, okay, I want to go back and I want to sell more glasses tomorrow. How, how are you going to do it? And how are you going to get it to stick? That's the challenge as an entrepreneur. And with the high netting practices, have they focused, they put an inordinate lever on the execution and less on the strategy. And they get people that can help them become better executors. Well said, well said. And Let's go ahead and wrap things up. I know we're a little bit over an hour now. So if you want to just give a couple minute plug on all that you've got going on, I know the, the power hour, the power practice, treehouse rise, all that. Sure. Uh, powerpractice.com is where you can find us. Uh, information there. We offer free, uh, free initial consultation. Um, if you want to learn about myopia management side of things, bring it into your practice, grow, G-R-O-W, at treehouseeyes, E-Y-E-S, uh, all one word, treehouseeyes.com. Contact us there, either one of those. Uh, anything else, if you want to uh, follow the band, go to joelinturner.com. We'd love to see you in the show. You have to like 80s, 80s classic rock, though, or you're going to be really bored out of your mind, and you're probably going to leave early. But <laughs> if you like the band Deep Purple and Rainbow, we'd love to see you at the show. Yeah. Any tour dates in San Francisco coming up? Uh, nothing coming up. I'm going to Czechoslovakia soon. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> The, the Eastern European shows are great, man, because the audiences are just gigantic. So are they? Oh, nice. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I know you got a busy schedule. you got a lot going on. Do appreciate you coming on here. And Same here. It was fun. Yeah. All right. And then we'll probably see you at Vision Expo. I'll be there. All right. Thanks again. Take care.